Good morning, everyone. Um, so years ago, before I worked at Fork, um, I had a full-time job uh, working in a parachurch ministry, and I had a part-time job, a lot of people don't know this, I had a part-time job teaching film at a community college. I taught like film theory and television production and video editing and all this other stuff. And um, I was teaching my class about how when writers write, a lot of times they use allegories in their stories. And that was like basically the point of their lesson. Um, they would use, either the director would use lighting to convey a very specific message, or uh, the writer would use all of these different allegories, connections to different plot points throughout the story to connect to some other deeper meaning than what you're seeing on screen. Because they can't just come out and say, I'm for this or I'm against this. They just kind of allude to it so that you can figure it out on your own. And I had a student who knew I was a Christian come up to me after class and ask me, um, what was the difference between an allegory and a parable? And that's a great question, uh, one that a lot of people don't consider, because they're very, very similar. If you want an example of an allegory, um, just randomly, there's a movie called Zootopia um, that Disney made, and throughout Zootopia... Uh, it's loaded with all of these allegories about tolerance and equality in a city full of animals where some, like predators, have a more natural advantage and others, like prey, are at a disadvantage. So that would be a good example of an allegory. But all that aside, I'm teaching this lesson. She wants to know what's the difference between an allegory and a parable. They're very similar. They're both, they're both imaginative literature uh, whether it's written or spoken, that's constructed in such a way that a reader or a listener is encouraged to find the meaning that's hidden beneath the surface. But where an allegory corresponds with multiple points throughout the story, a parable has one point. A parable has one lesson, one thing that you are supposed to take away from what you're hearing. And that's important for us to know because this morning I'm going to talk about two parables. Because there are two times in the book of Luke that we are given a parable that has the same point and the same lesson. And if Jesus is teaching us something seven chapters apart that has the same lesson in it, maybe it's something that we should actually take to heart. Maybe it's something that there's a lot more to this than we originally thought. So we're going to dig in. Um, if I could be a little transparent with you guys, uh, yeah, okay, good. If I could be a little transparent with you guys, um, every time I finish a prayer, uh, I immediately forget something that I was supposed to pray for. Anyone else do that? Let's be honest. I'm not Josh, you know, like if you... <laughs> If you pray, if you're praying like in front of your family or in front of a group or something like that, and you say a specific prayer and you're just like, oh, my brother, you know, <laughs> I forgot to pray for this thing or I forgot to pray for this thing. And then you kind of silently jump back into it yourself. Um, I think if we're honest, none of us really pray the way that we would like to or pray the way that we ought to. Uh, or pray as much as we should. In fact, when it comes down to it, I think that we can all admit that we should probably just pray more. And I highly doubt you'll find anyone that says like, nope, I pray 
perfect amount. More frequently, because when I have a healthy prayer life, I know I'm a better husband, I'm a better father, I'm a better pastor as a result of it. So I wonder if we should ever be satisfied with how our prayer lives have gone. Um, If you take a look at the disciples in Scripture, they prayed very, very often, and yet they still felt like they weren't getting it right, that something was missing. So hey, we've got something in common with them. They set out to fix it. So in Luke chapter 11, if you would like to join me there, uh, verse 1, they set out to fix it. And they approached Jesus. Here we go. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You guys have probably heard that worded a bunch of different ways because there's so many different variations and translations, but they all kind of get across the same point and they all follow the same pattern when they're prayed, when they're spoken. So there are two immediate things to take note of from what we just read. The first thing is that Jesus makes prayer a priority. And secondly, that Jesus expected his disciples to do the same. First, Jesus made prayer a priority. Right off the bat, first thing you read there is Jesus was praying in a certain place. That's how it starts off. This book was written by Luke to show his friend Theophilus who Jesus was, his character, and through all of the teachings and all of the details that we learn, what stands out in the book of Luke like a sore thumb is that Jesus always had time for one thing. He always had time for one thing. Luke was a doctor, and as most doctors are, it's not a stretch of the imagination that you could probably figure out he was a very detailed person. And he wanted to communicate the character of Jesus with as much detail as he possibly could. And leading up to verse 11, he talks about Jesus praying lots of times and many different scenarios. In chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, and then he prays. Uh, In chapter 5, Jesus goes out into the wilderness, and he prays. In chapter 6, he's up on the mountain all night. Guess what he's doing? He's praying. In chapter 9, verse 18, Jesus goes off alone to pray by himself. In chapter 9, verse 28, so just a little later in that chapter, he's praying on the mountain of transfiguration. Are you picking up the pattern here? Jesus makes time for prayer. He makes prayer a priority in his life. He finds the time to pray. There are nine prayers from Jesus in the book of Luke. Nine prayers. And what's really interesting, just to give you an idea of how detailed Luke was, seven of those nine prayers are only in the book of Luke. They're not in any other book of the Bible. So there's something important to this. Because Luke, like we said, he was very detailed. He had a focus when he wrote that book. He wanted to teach who Jesus was. And who Jesus was, was a man who found the time to pray to his father. We'd see him pray at night before he rested. We'd see him pray early in the morning before doing anything anything else that day. He prayed for others. He prayed with others. Sometimes he just prayed between him and God just communication with God. So he made prayer a priority. And secondly, he expected his disciples to do the same. 
If you take a look at verse 2, which we just read, if we could put that back up there, um, Jesus said to them, when you pray, and you could just stop right there, when you pray, not if you pray, when you're praying, this shows us that there's an expectation from God that his disciples and we, quite frankly, should make prayer a priority. So what is prayer? The most basic definition of prayer is just communication with God. It's a time when we communicate with him, we bring our concerns and requests and praises to him, and then we listen for his response. I know I'm telling you something that most of you already know. Um, I'm assuming the majority of this room knows how to pray. But if you pay attention to text, the disciples didn't ask Jesus how to pray. They never asked him how to pray. They knew how to pray. They were Jewish. They had a prayer for every single moment in life. They had different prayers. They had sacred prayers, prayers for the Sabbath, prayers for anything that they might go through. They're not saying, teach us how to do it. They said, literally, teach us to pray. Jesus, teach us to do it. And I think that we all need that lesson. We struggle with prayer. And if you really want to embarrass a Christian, ask them how their prayer life is. The answers that you'll get, everyone's caught off guard. If I ask someone how small group's going, everyone's prepared for that. Hey, how's your prayer life? Ooh. Uh, and then, you know, like naturally, some excuses start to come in. Um, most Christians would point to something like self-discipline and say, I just don't, I don't have the time to pray as much as I should. It's like working out. That's my excuse. I just don't have the time to do that as much as I should. Um, but that is an excuse that people use. I just, I wish I had more time. I can't find the time. Some Christians would say that they struggle to make their prayer time meaningful like they expect to spend an hour in this deep spiritual moment where they're imagining themselves face-to-face with God and the time just kind of flows by. And if it doesn't work out that way, then prayer doesn't work out. Or if you like me, you bow your head to pray, you lift up what's on your heart, and then before you know it, you're thinking about how you were bullied in seventh grade. That literally happened to me a couple days ago because my mind just goes off on these rapid trails. I was praying um, a prayer of thanks for my family. You know, like, thank you for my wife, who's so, I'm not building her up, she's here. But thank you for my wife, who is this and this. And thank you for my daughter, who's so adorable and so fun. And thank you that her birthday party went so well, because she just had a birthday party the other day. She turned six years old. And she had friends over. They had a great day, um, celebrated a bunch of different ways. And then they ended the night by watching Luca, a new movie on Disney, uh, and they had a lot of fun with that. And I watched that movie before she watched it just to get a feel for like what was going on in it. And it's a pretty good movie. It blatantly rips off their friendship from the friendships in Stand By Me, but I'm the only person that would notice something like that. Um, the, the whole friendship that they have in that movie, it's too much like the friendships in Stand By Me. That's just me. So then I'm thinking about Stand By Me while I'm praying. And then I think about how poor Will Wheaton and Corey Feldman were bullied by Kiefer Sutherland in that movie incessantly. And those poor kids were just in middle school. And then I think about how I was bullied the same way when I was in seventh grade. And then suddenly this prayer that is supposed to be 
communication between me and God and lifting up all of my requests and thanking him for everything that he's done and praising him turns into me reflecting on something very negative that should not be in the middle of my prayer. And it kind of ruins my prayer life a little bit. Here's another one. A lot of Christians don't want to admit that they don't know how much prayer actually works. And I'm looking around the room to see if anyone like, shakes their head in disagreement. A lot of Christians don't want to admit that they don't know how much prayer actually works. Because, you know, I prayed for this and it got answered. And I forgot to pray about this, but that got answered anyway. And you know what? I did pray for this a lot. And it didn't get answered. It never got answered. In fact, things just got worse. And there's people looking at me like they don't act like that's not true. There are a lot of Christians that do that, that feel that way about prayer. And then all of these different variables cause us to stumble in our prayer lives. And prayerlessness, which is a word that I'm making up today, which I'm pretty sure <laughs> would not be found anywhere online, um, prayerlessness is a problem. It's not knowing what the gospel says about you and what it says about God. So here's a better definition of prayer. Prayer is knowing that you need God's help, knowing that God is willing to help, and then acting on it. And if you know what the gospel says about God and his character and what the Bible says about you and your identity, then prayer should come as natural as breathing. When the disciples saw Jesus praying, they basically said, Jesus, you have something that we don't. You're doing something that we're not. Please teach us to pray. Unfortunately for them and for us, Jesus teaches and he gives us a pattern for how to pray, and it's called the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of people already know the Lord's Prayer, but that basic pattern, not that complicated, is up, out, and in. We look up, we acknowledge who God is. We acknowledge what God has done. We acknowledge who has saved us. We look out at this world, this broken world, and we pray for Jesus to have an impact on this world. And then we look inward at ourselves, at our own prayers and our own praises. And it should go in that order. Because if you're not starting with up, if you're not starting acknowledging who God is, if you're just praying a prayer request like, you know, oh Lord, I'm in this difficult situation, please fix this or have someone fix this or whatever, you basically just typed an email and you're sitting in front of your computer waiting for a reply. There's a lot more to it than that. It's also important to point out that there's two different versions of this prayer. There's one in Luke and there's one in Matthew. But the one in Matthew actually starts off with a warning and says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. Our word hypocrite comes from the Greek word for actor. Did you know that? So what's the message there? Basically, don't be an actor when you pray. Don't put on a show. This isn't for anyone else. This is between you and God. Don't be like that when you're praying. And then he teaches them this parable. And this is the first of two that we're going to go over today. So chapter 11, verse 5. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. It's a fun parable. So here we are in the middle of this. Try to put yourself there. It's the middle of the night. We'll say midnight. I know for a lot of you, midnight doesn't seem like the middle of the night, but they couldn't, you know, read a book by lamplight or watch a movie in the middle of the night to put themselves to bed. It was literally, you know, eight, sun goes down, four, sun comes up. Middle of the night is midnight, okay? This man comes and knocks on his door at midnight. It's pitch black. And when the man says, hey, my family and I, we're all in bed, he means it. There were no condos. There were no townhomes. No one had an individual bedroom. These were, these were one-room homes most of the time. So sleeping spaces were shared with the entire family. So when this man is saying, hey, me and my family are in bed, he's got kids and everything on every side of him. So if he wakes up in the middle of the night to help his friend, who, by the way, is not his friend anymore, knocking on the door at midnight to get food. So when his friend comes and knocks on the door, he's literally got to wake up the entire family in pitch black just to answer this person's request. Not to mention the guy knocking on the door is not even knocking because of an emergency. He's basically saying, hey man, I had some bros show up on my house and we're out of food. You guys have any food? Any snacks? Anything you can lend? Let's keep going. Verse eight says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Shameless audacity. Because of your shamelessness, because of how shameless you would be with your persistent knocking on that door, because of how annoying you are in bothering this person in the middle of the night, you'll be given whatever you need. What Jesus is teaching here is that the man will give his friend whatever he needs after this annoying act, but the man will give him whatever he needs because he's persistent, because he's annoying, and because he's shameless in his approach. Okay? So if we're still following along, we'll do verse 9 real quick. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So we come out of this parable and we realize that this is not an endorsement to bother our friends in the middle of the night and try to get Doritos from their house. That's not what we're learning here. That's not the point. A parable has one pressing point. And the point is that prayer should be like this. When you knock on a door in prayer, you knock over and over and over and over and over again. That's called persistence in prayer. Persistence in prayer. That's what Jesus teaches us when we need to learn how to pray like him. Is to be persistent in our prayer. And just in case we didn't pick up on the message the first time, he goes ahead and tells a different parable six chapters later, seven chapters later. And I'm going to refresh your memory because Josh just told this two weeks ago. 
But in case you missed it or in case you don't remember it, we're going to go over it again real quick. It's chapter 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them how or that they should always pray and not give up. That first verse I'm going to come back to, so remember that. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, doesn't he sound like an awesome guy? Uh, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Good character. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now in both of these parables, you have people that were worn down by persistence and annoyingness. And in this one specifically, it was the unjust judge. And the point of this second parable is not that God is like the unjust judge. Luke teaches us many times throughout his book that God is a very caring and loving father to his children. The point is, if an unjust judge will hear your persistence and will tolerate your annoyingness and put up with your shamelessness, what will your loving father do? Your loving father who has set the standard for what justice is, won't he hear you and answer you? You have to try to think of it from a child's perspective. Okay? I'll give you an example. My daughter is six years old. She's adorable. Um, But she's unrelenting when it comes to asking questions. Okay? Uh, I was in the middle of writing this this week, and she came to me and asked me so many questions in a 10-minute period that it had become so annoying, I started to keep a log of it so I could share it with you. This is 10 minutes, okay, while I'm writing this message, and it's right around this point. I just start to include it. Daddy, can I have a snack? Daddy, can I have a healthy snack? Daddy, what does patient mean? (laughs) It's my fault. Daddy, can you put on my show? Daddy, can you put on a different show? Daddy, can I watch your phone? Daddy, where's mommy? I'm asking myself the same question. (laughs) Daddy, can I sit on your lap? Daddy, I'm being really patient, right? (laughs) That's a new one that she just started doing. Daddy, I'm bored. Daddy, can I have a snack? So we're back at the beginning. So this is this vicious cycle that I'm stuck in (laughs) whenever I'm trying to work. And it was in a 10-minute period. 10 minutes. She does a great job when it comes to asking me for something repeatedly, because to her, no is not an answer. No is the beginning of an extended period of tough negotiations. Okay? And that same persistent attitude is what God invites us to model in our prayers. Both parables that we've read show us that God answers the prayers of a person because of their persistence. And Jesus could not have been more obvious about it. 
Once again, verse 1, chapter 18 says, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now, some people are going to hear this and they're going to say, wait, hold on. Are you saying that we can manipulate God into doing whatever we want as long as we pray hard enough and often enough? No, that is not what I'm saying at all, not in the least. This is one of the mysteries of God's sovereignty. God is still the one that's granting requests. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says not yet. And sometimes he answers only after ongoing, patient, persistent prayer. Maybe God answers our prayers by giving us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knew. And if you read these parables and feel like these people, the pestering neighbor and the widow, if you read those and you think, oh my gosh, they're just acting like children, to that I say good. Because we are his children. And we come to him like children. Be thankful that he answers our prayers like a father and not like a genie. Consider that God instructs us this way because he's glorified through our persistent boldness. By knocking endlessly on God's door, praying and refusing to give up, we declare our confidence in the goodness and the power of God. The more we pound on the door, the greater the declaration of confidence. Maybe instead of trying to solve the riddle behind why some prayers are answered and some prayers are not, and some are just answered in a different way, we should just follow Jesus' instruction. If God's not answering, keep praying. Keep praying. I know this makes you immediately want to consider all of the exceptions. Uh, You prayed for something and never got it. And scripture shows that many times a prayer, even a persistent one, goes without an apparent answer. There's actually an example from Acts, and I, I didn't look it up. I'm sorry, I don't know what verse it is off the top of my head, where God basically talks to Paul and says, Paul, let this one go. Okay? This one's not going to get answered because of Paul's persistent praying. But when his disciples asked him how to pray, Jesus told stories with this lesson. Don't stop praying until you absolutely have to. I don't know specifically what God will do with, prayer, with your persistent prayer requests, but I know that God won't answer a single prayer of yours that you aren't asking. I want to end with this. Um, there's an evangelist from the 19th century. Uh, his name was George Mueller, Okay. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of him or not, but you can look this up. It's pretty popular. He, um, he wrote a lot of letters about this, so this is well documented. He told a story about how he committed to praying for the salvation of five individuals, okay? And it's believed that all five of these individuals were friends of his son. He committed to praying for the salvation of five individuals, and he prayed for those five people every single day, whether he was sick or healthy. If he was traveling and he was on land or at sea, he prayed. Whether he had the time or didn't, he found it and he prayed for these five people. 18 months after he started praying, one of the five people made a decision and accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. 
So Mueller thanked God and then continued to pray for the others. Five years after the first, a second one was saved. Mueller thanked God and continued to pray for the others every single day. Six years after the second one, the third one was saved. Three down, two to go. 36 more years go by and the other two are not saved. The last time that Mueller was recorded speaking about it, he said, they are not converted, but they will be. I hope in God, I pray on, and I look for the answer. That was the last time he talked about it. And then he passed away in 1897. 52 years after he had begun to pray daily for the five. And those two people were not Christians when he passed away. Three of the five were. And then within months of his passing, those last two converted and became Christian. And Mueller never saw it happen. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. The last time I was up here, I mentioned that Jesus is what separates us from every other religion in the world. Here's another degree of separation for you. A lot of religions teach prayer and the ones that do teach that God answers prayer. But what separates us is this teaching that we approach God with the type of shamelessness about circumstances in our lives that are comparable to how a child would speak to their parent. We've been challenged to read through the book of Luke twice this summer. And my biggest takeaway so far from my reading is what kind of prayer life I should have. And if you struggle with your prayer life, I highly suggest you read this book. Read the gospel and try to get a sense for who he is and how desperately you need him. And once you realize that, prayer becomes as easy as breathing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning, for everyone that's here attending and watching online, and for this message about how to pray, Lord, in what way we should pray. Um, I think it's something that a lot of us struggle with, a lot of people in this room, a lot of people around the world. Um, and we thank you for the reminder that was given by your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.